Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. We're doing this one back to back with uh, last fortnight's uh, Blood Rage episode, so yes. we've got our juices flowing. Sam's angry with me, <laughs> we'll get to that. My name is Dan Martin, I am a special effects person and podcast human. Um, and I am joined, as ever, by my illustrious and lovely co-host. Sam Ashurst. And I'm not really angry. I mean, I am, but... Um, <laughs> Just we'll, an all-consuming internal rage. We'll, we'll get to that later. <laughs> um, and as you're well aware, if you listened to the last podcast, this week we are doing Blood and Black Lace, Mario Barber's seminal... Mr. Barber. Horror film. It's our first Barber. I'm sure it, it definitely won't be the last. Yeah, there have been a lot of calls for Barber, haven't there? There have indeed. It won't, definitely won't be our last. Uh, I mean, I'm hoping we'll do these forever until we're senile and in nursing homes. So, <laughs> and Barber's not making films anymore. So sooner or later, we'll work our way through the entire catalogue. Wonderful, yeah. Even even ones that Arrow haven't released, we'll just do that. Why not? When we're senile, no one's going to stop us. No, I think Arrow will keep releasing them, though. Like, just he's not made them all. Yes, correct. He's not, he's not making any more. Yes. But Arrow will continue releasing them. Yes, they. Yes, hopefully. I am. Um, I have. Uh, I have two American box sets of Barva, uh, the Barva one and Barva two box sets, which are, are great and have some lovely special features. Mm. And it's really paining me that I, when Arrow release their versions, obviously their Blu-ray so they're better in quality. Normally they've got the same features plus more, so the the, the films in those box sets become redundant. Those copies become redundant. Mm-hmm. So normally, when I get a lovely Arrow release, I can d- get rid of an old version of something if uh, if it doesn't have like a unique special feature or something like that. But with the box sets, like they're box sets, I can't get to get rid of one disc at a time. No. So there's this massive like space of double ups. <laughs> Not double ups, triple ups, quadruple ups. <laughs> you know, but uh, on my shelf. So Arrow, just just release everything, please. Just get get around to that. <laughs> That would be nice, um, especially because this is an amazing Blu-ray. Some incredible extras. It's a, a packed disc. New audio commentary by Barber's biographer, Tim Lucas. Incredible. Um, it's a great great commentary as well. I listened to it last night. Yeah, really good. Fantastic. Um, and I actually, I'm going to take this opportunity to say, when I listened back to the Cato 9 Tales uh, podcast last time around, I realised how much I absorbed from the Cat and Tales commentary by Alan Jones and Kim Newman. So I kind of, I want to give them full credit. No one's asked me to do this, but I want to give them full credit for a lot of those facts that I spouted last week. Um, But as I'm sure you will be aware, it's the tip of the iceberg in terms of what they talk about on that commentary. So um, haven't spoiled too much. It's still, but I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's something to talk about when we, you know, we're specifically talking about this edition and it's an, it's an amazing asset that Arrow have access to people like Alan and Kim and Tim, who does the audio commentary on this one. Cause these guys are so encyclopedic. Exactly. Tim did a, is, um, is Tim's audio commentary on the Arrow Bay of Blood as well? I think so, yeah. Yeah, that's an, another amazing commentary. He just knows so fucking much. It's, yeah, it's, it's just non-stop. And, and this is it. I am very much an audio commentary person. Um, I always have been. It's kind of a bit of a dying art outside of you know the, the boutique labels. Uh, and even within the boutique labels, not all of them do it. Yeah, for a while um, it was on everything. Yeah, and, and so, you know... I, I love audio commentary so much and I do learn so much from them. Like I will often watch a film and then immediately put it straight back on to, to listen to the full commentary um, because you do learn so much yeah. and do absorb so much. So 
I know. Uh, thank you, Arrow, for continuing yeah. this art, which is a bit of a dying art. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. I have a, I have a question for you, Sam. I know yes. the, I know, I know the answer to this. Yes. Uh, because we know each other. But for the listener at home, what's your favourite non-Arrow audio commentary? Now, um, Dan thinks it's Conan the Barbarian, um, which is a, an excellent one. Um, incredibly entertaining, um, particularly because Arnie basically just his contribution is to describe what's going on on screen and then he, he basically laughs about it and that's it in terms of insight and illumination it's very funny i recommend it if you haven't listened to it yet but i'm just going to mention one that i listened to recently actually um i watched logan noir recently and put on the commentary immediately afterwards and james mangold it's fantastic fantastic in terms of insight into the actual you know what it takes to make a film like that like he goes as far as there's a scene where uh, uh, Logan's talking to Professor X and they're ostensibly in the same place but um, Mangold explains that because of um, challenges in terms of location stuff the exchange is filmed in two completely different locations and he basically says, every time it cuts to a shot, he says where it is. And it's just fantastic. It's really good. That's very so, cool. So, yes, um, Logan Noir. But we're not here to talk about Logan Noir. We're here to talk about Blood and Black. I'm going to tell you my favourite non-era audio commentary oh, yes, before please. we move on. Yeah, yeah. It's the uh, Troma 2-disc release of Alfred Packer the Musical, retitled <laughs> later Cannibal the Musical, which was uh, Matt Stone and Trey Parker's student film, uh, which Troma picked up. It's the most... Uh, commercially successful disc they've ever released that's incredible um, and I think the two disc I don't know if it's still about but uh, you probably pick it up second hand on eBay not that I could imagine anyone ever wanting to part with it it's an absolute gem but they um, it's a reunion it's essentially a school reunion because they were all at film school together mm. or music school together music and drama and um, and they're all meeting up for the first time and they all get absolutely wasted during the audio commentary mm. and then at the end of it they're like this party never has to stop let's just do another audio commentary and so they start the film again and record a second audio that's commentary that's amazing that's so good. Uh, and you get, like, at the high point, kind of in the middle, i.e. the end of the first audio commentary, beginning of a second audio commentary, you get um, you get some, actually, some pretty interesting insight into their intent. By the end, it's a mess. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And, of course... Dan and I recorded an audio commentary for the villainess. Oh, but I couldn't say that one because that's an arrow commentary. Yeah, no, no, but I'm just I'm adding it on at the end um, to say, you know, if you want to hear our waffles, then um, by all means. Yeah, I'm not sure I could put us in the same class as Tim talking no, about Blood and Black Lives. 100% not. And in fact, you know, basically all I do is recommend hundreds of films. I, I provide no insight into the <laughs> whatsoever. Um, Dan does. But um, yeah, yeah. If you want to hear a commentary, well, I mean, I mock that. You want to hear commentary. a commentary? Yeah, if you want to hear a commentary, um, <laughs> this is definitely a commentary. It is, it is. And uh, you know, if you like the recommendation section of our podcast, then it's, it's feature length version of that. Right. If you so, only listen to one audio commentary this year, this is one. <laughs> um, if you only listen to one audio commentary, listen to this one, which is all of them. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, good so moving on Blood and Black Lace Blood and Black Lace Um, yeah it's really nice I I think one of the things that makes the disc so special is that 
before this re- remaster, it's a 2K remaster, and before this came out, uh, the the best you were going to get was a slightly shit copy. And it's such a beautiful... I've shot in Technicolor. It's such a beautiful movie. It really is. Um, and the colours are so much a part of its its character that um, it's a real shame to have, you know, the, the sort of the washed-out bullshit VHS that was floating around in the late 80s when yeah. I first saw it, you know... Just didn't do it justice. Oh, exactly. It is like watching a whole new film. Like I was, yeah, I was actually quite shocked by yeah, how beautiful, um, how stunning it is. Yeah, another another great extra psychoanalysis, uh, which is a, a, a long documentary. Or a, hang on a second, I won't say long because it's what is it, fifty five minutes? Thorough. Yeah, thorough. There we go. And also on the disc is a new documentary called Psychoanalysis, which is an exhaustive account of uh, the origins of um, both Blood and Black Lace and the Jalo genre, which is basically the same thing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there have been a few around before, but this is the one that kind of set the benchmark for the style. Yeah, exactly. Um, And it's, you know... Again, Tim talks about this uh, on the commentary, but you you can see ripples coming off this throughout the horror genre mm. for years and years to come. Uh, and Argento's sort of borrowed from it. Wes Craven's borrowed from it, both narratively and stylistically uh, in different projects. It's, yeah. yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, totally. And I, I think a lot of what Argento gets credit for, and I'm not dissing Argento here, um, but I'm sure he would admit himself that a lot of what he gets credit for, because most people have seen Suspiria, but not necessarily as many of those people have seen Barbara's stuff. Yeah. There, there's a lot of, of that originated here. Um, you know, the use of colour is very Suspiria. That's incredible. I'll get onto that in my recommendations. And, and for example, there's um, a music video by Primal Scream. Um, the song's called... Um, can't go back. I don't know if you've seen it, but I don't think um, I know. But yeah, a lot of people when that sort of landed were like, "Oh well, you know, Argento, Argento," and it's a straight homage to this movie, um, to Blood and Black Lace. Um, yeah, it's it's an amazing music video. I don't think it's on YouTube, but I think it's on Vimeo. So. Um, maybe that should have been a recommendation, but I can't recommend a music video. So yeah, just so we've recommended all sorts. Yeah, we have recommended yes. a nice pie. A nice pie. A nice recommend a nice pie. Oh well, right, good. Um... <laughs> I did a shrug. Yeah. <laughs> top top podcasting. Um, so when well, actually, you know what, Sam? I'm going to ask you a question now, if that's all right. Yes, please. Uh, and it's not the question you think I'm going to ask you. Oh no, thanks. <laughs> Uh, when did you first see Blood of Lace? Um, when did under I f- what circumstances? Right, I first saw Blood and Black Lace. Now, I almost don't want to admit this, but in the let's just say in the nineties, I did a media studies course. Um, as we all did, Sam. As, as Everyone did media did. studies. Yeah, exactly. And I basically, um, I I wrote an essay about um slasher about like the history of slasher films mm-hmm. and so i i watched it as part of that research yeah i mean not particularly an exciting way to watch it but that's um, right did you watch it but i mean you didn't watch it like on one of those tvs they have in a bay at the library <laughs> <laughs> which is how i first watched night of the living dead no i mean <laughs> i i was quite lucky actually in that um my sister uh, scarlett thomas who is an author 
Um, and yeah, my sister Scarlett worked at a video shop. Um, she worked at Titles Video Shop nice. um, when I was growing up. And so basically she got free rentals. Um, so in addition to the rentals that I paid for, I always had freebies as well. So I basically literally watched every single video in the horror section. Um, and yeah, um, so it was on video that I watched Blood and Black Lace yeah. and not in a library. Oh, well, you know, it's a step up, I guess. But muted, muted colours. It being yeah, no, it yeah. is. It was so washed out. I it saw it on VHS the first yeah, time as well. Yeah. Uh, I saw it round the house of a terrifying Scottish man. Amazing. That I met. <laughs> I, I, I actually think I've heard this story before, but please put have it we, on the podcast. Have we done it on the podcast? No, we've done podcast, it on the podcast. Yeah. So I worked as a an occasional pizza chef, but mostly a delivery driver. Um, at the age of 16 at a little Domino's pizza when Domino's was quite early to Britain um, that was in a sort of petrol station shop. But it was one of the bigger ones, which, given its placement, was weird. And maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was just near the petrol station. Anyway, uh, so I would deliver little pizzas for them, puttering around. And just up the road was a uh, was this sort of like housing complex and a friend of mine had met this guy, Sandy. And Sandy, we were like 16, Sandy had a line on some some films we couldn't get hold of. Mm. Uh, he, I first saw Natural Born Killers through him. These are all, all bootlegs. Yeah, yeah. He was the person who first showed me Tenebrae. Amazing. Uh, and he also showed me um, Blood and Black Lace. But uh, he had this tiny apartment full to the gills with uh, films, a lot of bootleg VHS. Um, but it was also full of parakeets <laughs> and canaries. And they, they, I think they had a cage, but they didn't live in the cage. And they just sort of like ran right in this, uh, in this flat. And he would get very antsy if uh, anything happened that meant that he needed to rewind the tapes because the rewind button on his remote control had been eaten by one of his parakeets. <laughs> so he couldn't rewind the tape. Yeah, but I saw I saw loads of that was my first I think those were my first jellos were were through Sandy oh, whose surname great. I don't know who was a terrifying Glaswegian. I mean, it's probably for the best. That we a don't. lot older than me. It's probably for the best we don't completely identify him. Um, one of the other contributions um, my sister made to the history of cinema is that uh, in addition to let me rent whatever I wanted from Titles Video Shop, she also was very happy to sneak me into eighteen rated films at the cinema. Nice. Um, so even though I was way too young for it, I actually saw Natural Born Killers at the cinema, which was an amazing experience. That's wow. the first time I watched it. But uh, anyway, what do you have? Any other questions, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> do you have a favourite bit. Favourite bit. Favourite scene. Favourite scene. Favourite image. Let's say a favourite... Yeah, favourite image. Like that Twitter thing, one perfect shot. Oh, lovely. That's a really... Okay, so um, this is going to be interlinked because my favourite image comes in my favourite scene, funnily enough, but I think the bath drowning is amazing. Oh, it's incredible. Um, It's another one of these things where I don't quite know how they did it because even on Blu-ray, it's like you're watching a real drowning because she does not breathe. Um, you know, the, the the face is underwater to the camera for quite a long time. But yeah, just that shot where, you know, she's in the bath and has sunken down. There's a couple of bubbles, but, you know, um, it's, yeah, it's just a, a stunning shot. Yeah, it's really brutal. Those underwater shots of people's faces are like spattered throughout Giallo and they all yeah. come from that obviously yeah exactly um, there's a uh, a short film 
uh, called Yellow yes, on yeah, the yeah, desk yeah. as an extra yeah. feature, uh, which starts with a, a bath, which, which starts with a, a Tufa hybrid uh, homage, which is a, a bath drowning with a one-two punch followed by a un chien de loup eye slash. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, I, I want to get onto your favourite scene in a second, but I also want to mention, because that reminds me, the fact that Yellow is, is in these extras... Um, what's really wonderful about this disc is Arrow have completely understood that this is such an influential film and um, they've really acknowledged that by not only you've got Yellow which is um, you know a short film a Blu-ray exclusive on this disc there's also an amazing um, soundtrack as well amazing soundtrack um, there's a, an appreciation of the film by the guys behind Amir and the strange colour of your body's mm, yeah. tears, which is, which you is know, incredible. films that are obviously very, very influenced by Bava. Um, it really sounds like I'm shilling for this disc, but it's... it's no, it's just a wonderful disc. Again, it's purely because I love it. And, and yeah, just, just the fact that Arrow have acknowledged that contribution that, that, that Bava, and specifically this film, has made to cinema on this disc is lovely, I think. So, Dan... What is your favourite scene? Well, I feel very unoriginal saying it, but it's the it's the antiquary shop. Yeah, uh, it's the stalker. Yeah, like yeah. Um, she's it. It's just the birthplace of so many tropes of, oh, of giallo. The um, the dancers like neon light flashing outside, giving you that on off yeah, uh, yeah. lighting, which has that just. Uh, just fucking incredible moment where a mannequin disappears because it wasn't a mannequin, it was the killer yeah. frozen in a moment of light. Just gorgeous. Yeah, oh, that's um, beautiful. Amazing. And 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 again, that's that's where it's really like before that, the dressing and the the scenery and the costumes are very vibrant. There's a lot of like really rich primary colours, especially in the fashion house. Mm. But there is where the the lights become very heavily coloured. Mm. Um, and nowadays, when you think about Italian horror cinema and coloured lights, most people will go to Argento. Mm. But it's it, it's there with Bava that it started. And it's just mm. yeah, it's just a beautiful, beautiful scene. Yeah, no, it is, it's a wonderful scene. What else do we have to say? Well, that's this? it. Like, I don't... Like, I, I think that although this is one of the... It's, it's in the top, like, 20%, 15% maybe of, of well-known Giallo. I also think it's it's criminally underwatched. Yeah. Uh, and despite the fact that we're recommending, we're telling people what we're going to be talking about next week, I don't really want to go too much into it in case people haven't seen it because it's such a lovely film and there's so many like deftly placed red herrings that if we talk about it in completely, too much detail, we completely. could spoil it for someone. Yeah, completely. And it, I completely agree. It's, it's very, very underwatched. And, um, you know, that might take some of the shine off it for some people um you know it's one of these films where it's so incredibly influential if you've just seen it at the time for the first time it would have blown your mind watching it now it may feel slightly more generic like john carter of mars like john carter <laughs> of mars um but no um it sounds like i'm sort of saying don't watch this i'm not saying don't watch this of course you'd watch you should watch it but no absolutely don't go in with too high expectations no, I see i think i think unlike john carter of mars which obviously they made later in the day uh, but they didn't change anything from the source text and therefore everything they were that was in the source text in burroughs's text had been robbed and, blind. And, and you must get it right the title is not john carter of mars which would be far more interesting it's simply john carter no sorry the book is called john yes, carter of mars but you went on to talk about the film so yeah 
yeah, 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 no, no. So, yeah, yeah. so when they, when they, when they adapted, sell. when they adapted, <laughs> for some reason, when they adapted the movie into a, uh, the book into a movie, yeah. they didn't change anything because they're like, it's amazing, it's a trailblazer, whatever. But that source text had been robbed blind by so many different filmmakers that all of those cool things that were original to the novel had been on screen dozens of times before and it felt wholly unoriginal. But I don't think that. And it, it, I know it's, it's different because it, this is the film is the original. Like it's not ad- readapting an old text, but I think that with um, Blood and Black Lace, you don't feel like oh I've seen this a million times. It's like um, it's like a really well made cocktail. You may be familiar with every ingredient, but this is the way it should be put together, and it's absolutely fantastic. Completely, and I uh, one of the things that I enjoy about John Carter of Mars is the fact that the uh, creature design. Uh, which Dan is is an expert at. I've seen some of the most beautiful creatures in his notepads that haven't actually made it to screen as yet, but um, he's got a, a magnificent eye. So I'm pretty sure Dan will never design uh, uh, an alien that looks like a, a an alien dog that looks like a penis. But um, I'm going to show Dan now, and maybe I'll tweet this, um, an image from the behind the scenes of John Carter. I think I know the image you're going to show me. I love that so much. (laughs) I love it so much. I think, I think that's my friend Todd in the green, in the chroma key suit. Amazing. If it is Todd, Todd was one of the head puppeteers back at Henson's in the day. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I went to a meeting at his house with um, director Billy O'Brien who was a, a storyboard artist for Henson's back in the day, mm. but who directed um, Isolation, the, the the Mutant Cow horror movie. Yeah, it's that great. We isn't isn't funny. Recommendation. Uh, yeah, yeah, very great film. Uh, I did a film with him uh, and was doing previews on another film with him that ended up I ended up not being able to work on. But he lives in this little village uh, down in the southwest of England, which seems to be like a sort of mecca for ex Henson's people and when I went down to visit him the frouds were had like the, the, the town hall was doing a, a dark crystal retrospective and the frouds had like had dropped off some original puppets from uh, from dark crystal and then we went up to Todd's place and Todd had like hit the Batman suit from Tim Burton's Batman with the uh, you know when Batman drops through the glass yeah, yeah. smashes all down so that's a, that's a wire rig suit and if it, oh, right. if it wasn't Todd then Todd was in doing it then Todd was involved in that scene and he still has the, the cowl and the suit and the cape and everything awesome. from that scene um, and then in his garden he's got gargoyles from on top of one of the big buildings in Gotham and oh, like, wow. it's just an amazing place uh, and yeah all these uh, ex-Hensons people live together in this little village uh, but but Todd was definitely a puppeteer on John Carter, um, running around in a chroma key, a desert in a chroma key suit. Well, yeah, <laughs> and I, I think, and I know, know that he puppeteered the weird penis dog at some point. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was him in the. Uh, well, I will. Uh, I will put that, that image. Suit. I mean, you can probably you know uh, Google um, John, John Carter, Carter penis, penis dog, dog <laughs> behind the scenes, and it will pop BTS. up. BTS. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right, and on that. Wonderful note. Shall we go into recommendations based on this film? Yeah, let's go on recommendations based on this film. Okay. Do you want to go first? Uh, I can do. Yeah, yeah you go sure. first. Okay, oh, so last time. my first recommendation is another uh, Barber film, which is available on Arrow. Uh, Black Sabbath from 1963. Great. This is another one that uh, Dan and I watched together. And yeah, it's, it's a portmanteau. Um, it's three horror stories. Um, I know the last one contains some of the scariest imagery I'd seen at the time that I saw it first. It's kind of 
Pet Cemetery esque. The be dripping tiles. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if um, if Pet Cemetery was influenced by Black Sabbath. I don't know that. The book or the Mary Lambert movie? Yes, no, sorry, the the adaptation, the, the yeah. film, which um, I love. Yeah, oh, it's it's fantastic. Second I mean, VHS I ever bought. Ah, nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, the book and the film, as if you need me to tell you this. Um, but yeah, Black Sabbath, nineteen sixty three. Um, just a wonderful, wonderful, entertaining, creepy movie. I have a question for you. Oh. When they cast the Babadook, do you think they deliberately chose a kid that looked like the bedridden lady from Black Sabbath? <laughs> third story episode, The Dripping Tap. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with no, unfortunately. <laughs> They're so similar looking. <laughs> <laughs> what have you got for us, Dan? Um, so my first one is another giallo. It's not a barfer. And actually, it's probably not the best giallo narratively but I think that stylistically it's absolutely fantastic and it's very worth checking out from an aesthetic point of view uh, and that's Black Belly of the Tarantula um, yeah. like uh, just as just as Blood and Black Lace is set in a fashion house with all these models uh, Black Belly of the Tarantula is set in uh, a sort of a beauty spa kind of space but with some very peculiar changes which uh, are quite fun when you get into it um, it suffers a little bit from the uh, ridiculous rug pull twist that were in some of the uh, some of the the less um, the less deft giallo narratively uh, in fact it it, um, it spends quite a lot of time making a big point about something that later turns out to be incorrect just so that the ending is a is a surprise and then it has five minutes of two people walking up and down a corridor explaining what happened yeah. uh, and the motive is as it so often is oh no they, they were just mental like, they're just spoiler just alert absolutely no I mean that, that's not the reason to watch it but also that doesn't tell you who it was yeah, yeah like yeah. that doesn't spoil yeah, yeah, the mystery yeah. it's absolutely fantastic uh, it's directed by Paolo Cavara uh, he did it in 71 Cavara uh, did he was the third wheel on Jacopetti and Prosperi's uh, Mondo Carne, who's mm. the third director on that? So it's quite a, quite an important force in Italian cinema, uh, especially like commercially. Mondo Carne was a huge success, but uh, Black Belly of the Tarantula plays with the traditional trope the the paralyzing poison. You can still tell what's happening to you, yeah, but you can't yeah. move or scream. Yeah. But it's also like loads of really beautiful Kubrickian single point perspective shots. I think you may have gorgeous lighting it. and colour. You may have, have, re- I, have I talked it. about this already. Um no no I don't know if I don't think you've recommended it, but I think you, you briefly mentioned it in the audition episode if you want to go back Oh yeah I can I can that would make sense. That um, would make sense. Yeah because they are connected. Um, yes they are. Yeah it's it's a great film. And um I have something that you will not know about Dan and I Ooh. is that we uh, both collect Italian original posters. I'm not going to use the correct terminology because Dan and I <laughs> are worried that if we say the right thing, um, everyone will. Yeah, go. just just buy up all the photo boosters. I don't like photo boosters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I actually I think I'm going to either put this onto Twitter or onto Instagram. Um, let's see how I feel. But I own the Black Belly of the Tarantula Italian original poster, and it is a wonder. Is the one? Is the one you? I have a different one. Ah. I have the one because so there are there are a couple of them. Yes. And um, the the one that I'm no, it's got three Bond girls on it. Is the Ah. reason that the one because there are three Bond girls in the movie. Ah, so Um, so Dan's got a more collectible one. Is what he's telling us. (laughs) (laughs) But you've seen it. So we're we as always we're doing this. Well, not as always, but as regular we're doing this in my kitchen uh behind us we have the three poster frames i 
I had made that I can swap the posters in and out of, so I change them occasionally. I'm not as often as I as I want to. So at the moment, behind us are what are those strange drops of blood doing on Jennifer's body? Uh, in terror bang, uh, and uh, the man of the streets does justice. Yeah, uh, a Lindsay, um crime movie. But yeah, so the uh, I think. Mo- most recently, there were three Yodorovskis up there, but before that, um, Black Belly of the Tarantula was up there. But yeah, like like we say, we collect these, you don't have to. Um, we don't want the com- competition. Um, <laughs> well, um, I'll, I'll put some pictures up. I'll, put, I'll, I'll, I'll nice. tweet some pictures. Yeah, I'll do the same. All right, yeah, at me and we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. We'll do our favourites. Well, I'll wait until, because this is... Going, this is being recorded a little bit before it goes up, so I'll wait until yeah. it comes out, and then we'll do it that day. We'll do yeah, a yeah. we'll do a posters day. Yeah, lovely. Okay, great. Now my uh, next recommendation is the most obvious film in the world. I mentioned it earlier, but occasionally I sort of um, I talk to people and I, I find out that they haven't seen some of the most important touchstone films ever. So there is a chance that there's someone out there listening to this who has yet to see Suspiria. There is a chance. Um, So that's my recommendation from 1977, hugely influenced by uh, Mario Bava um, and elements of this film. Um, But, oh, my God, it is a masterpiece. Uh, Like 99% of the people listening to the podcast are agreeing with me right now. But if you're the 1% who's yet to come to it, then what a treat you have in store. You know, get the Blu-ray. Certainly watch it before well, the, the, the remake. Before the remake, but there's a new 4K print. Yes. Ah, oh, yes, of course there is. Which is, yes. I've not I've not caught yet, but yeah, apparently yeah. it's incredible. If you do get a chance to, if you do have access to the 4K print, uh, the the advice I've been given is make sure the sound system you're watching it on has a subwoofer. Oh, wow. Because apparently the, the, re, the digitised sound is absolutely phenomenal oh, wow. but the wow. those of you who are familiar with Suspiria will be very familiar with the music yes but the bass is gut punching at the best of times but apparently the new print is just ooh, beautiful great yeah so that's it Suspiria 1977 yeah, absolutely lovely right so as with the last episode uh, one of my recommendations is going to be something you can't get <laughs> <laughs> uh, although for a different reason this time because the film I'm recommending isn't out yet uh, and won't be out for a while because uh, we only finished filming it at the end of last year. Um, But it's Peter Strickland's new film. A lot of you will probably know about Strickland. He did Duke of Burgundy, uh, Barbarian Sound Studio. His new film is called uh, In Fabric. I think we've mentioned it on the podcast in passing. We have. But um, it's very heavily influenced by Blood and Black Lace. He was very open about this. Uh, One of the fun things about it, and I don't know if this will come out on um, Extra Features uh, for the the film, because I know that um, Andy from Rook, who produced it, is very keen on um, on providing proper content, proper extra features for the movies uh, he, he produces. Um, <clears throat> but I don't know if this will come up on it. Um, but uh, the first time we did a take, and I wasn't there every day, obviously I was just there for effects, but uh, the first time we did a take, um, we'd always do it with um, a giallo music playing over the top. So the actors would go through it with a piece of music that Peter wanted them to have in their minds for subsequent takes, blaring over the top. So he had a Bluetooth speaker and, uh, you know, some Morricone or some Freezy would, like, blast over the speakers. It was absolutely fantastic. The production design, the costume design, absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, so if you're a fan of Blood and Black Lace, you will definitely get a kick out of In Fabric when it finally comes out. So, Wonderful. Yeah, Love it. Very, very excited for that one. Right, 
Recommendations from the past couple of weeks, Dan. Shall I? I'll go because you just did one. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can go again. Um, so I've been revisiting uh, some of my all-time favourite films recently, um, and one such film is Harakiri. Did, did I say that right, Dan? Harakiri. Yeah, yeah amazing. Amazing yeah. film. Yeah, so from 1962, directed by Masaki Kobayashi. Uh, if I mean, you know... Uh, uh, I feel like it's weirdly, even though it's an absolute stone cold classic, it's relatively underseen. I think a lot more people would have seen Kurosawa's work. Like, more oh yeah, definitely. Seen... Well, Kurosawa is kind of the the pennant bearer. Yeah. So uh, he's definitely people are more familiar with him. Do you not think the remake uh, no, widened the audience a little I, bit? For no, you? I re- I really don't actually. Because um, Mike remade it what like five years ago now. He did and I think um, it was in three D. Yeah, it was around the same time as um, Thirteen Assassins, and I think Thirteen Assassins got overshadowed much more. It really if well, it's a much more commercial project. Yeah, uh, um, and you, you know, obviously the title, you know, um, the subject matter is obviously very dark and very bleak and it is a dark bleak film oh so good however yeah however for me it is the best film about storytelling i think i've i've ever seen um in terms of storytelling no no about about storytelling storytelling. okay so uh because obviously the structure of it yeah 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 it's just wonderful and the way you know the way it sets things up and pays them off is just masterful so um honestly like one of the top five films ever made ever 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 oh, it's an absolute masterpiece. Um, it was a pleasure to revisit it and i do feel that this is one that a lot of people won't have seen so please buy the blu-ray um i think it's uh, a masters of cinema release um i've i think i've got the criterion print from the states but yeah, yeah but i think in this country um uh eureka released yeah. it on blu-ray yeah, so yeah. um it's definitely out there um it's a wonderful wonderful film dan so, Sam, what are the other four films that you think might be a contender for your fifth favourite film of all time, but that you don't consider worthy of being in the top ten otherwise? Oh, here we go. Right. <laughs> right. So, um, dear, dear, precious, sweet listeners, I've gotten a lot of um, a lot of nonsense, a lot of a lot of angry nonsense from people because Dan. Gave me a lot of angry nonsense when we did our top films of, of 2017. Um, Dan could not. Not cope. angry nonsense, Sam. Angry sense. Dan couldn't cope with my. Um, you know, Avant garde listing technique. <laughs> look, right. We all live in the multiverse, and in some universe, you know, my number four film of, of 2017 was Mother, but in this universe, it was Killing of a Sacred Deer. And so, Dan, what is your first recommendation? Uh, right, so my top three spots for my first recommendation. <laughs> my uh, my first recommendation is uh, a Shaw Brothers movie. Lovely. Uh, I dipped back into the Z Eagle um, over the uh, over the Christmas period and have stuck with it. Uh, it's a real treat. Um, I realised that I've only seen two modern films this year so far. We're going to pause this, um, Dan. Explain to the listeners that don't uh, obsessively listen to every single episode what a Z Eagle is. Oh goodness me! Just just Google, just Google it. Um, so Z Eagle is a video jukebox from China. It has uh, six hundred and sixty-eight 
uh, Shaw Brothers films on it, all of these celestial releases. And it's essentially a, uh, a beautiful red box of delights that plugs via HDMI into your entertainment system and then has a proprietary remote control that if you lose it, the whole thing's fucking worthless. <laughs> and yeah, you just get to scroll through all of Run Run and Run May's cinematic offerings. It's and a, a I'm, I'm, I'm not bitter, but um, I've spent, um, you know, a, a significant chunk of, of my adult life, certainly in the last five years or so, doing my best to collect every single one of the Celestial Shaw Brothers releases. And it hasn't been easy. I've barely scratched the surface. <laughs> I, I mean, I've got, I've got over a hundred, but yeah. Then Dan swans in and says, "Oh, by the way, I've just bought every single one of them in one jukebox." And then I moved out. <laughs> it's the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah. But I'm glad that it exists. I'm glad that you own it, and I don't hate you too much. Yeah, what awesome. is your What is your recommendation? Uh, it's Five Elements Ninja. Oh, yes, amazing film. Uh, Fire Manager is amazing. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. I don't think I've seen it not sub- not dubbed before. I think mm. this was my first watch with subtitles. One of my favourite uh, things about it on this rewatch, because uh, when I was... When, so the Z-Eagles are quite hard to find. Uh, they released a very limited number of them. Uh, I think they were just... They, they weren't... They, weren't they, they overestimated how many people wanted to buy... Over 500 martial arts films from the 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s. <laughs> Don't get me started. Don't get me started. Um, and so there weren't a huge number on the market. And then the ones that do turn up secondhand turn up on this sort of Asian version of eBay that you can't access if you're outside of, outside of Asia. So they're not particularly easy to get hold of. So it took me a while to find one. I was first alerted to their existence um, by uh, a friend of mine called James Piercy, who works over at the BFI, who mentioned it to me and Sam... Uh, when we were there watching the Todd Killings. Yes. And uh, was that fight? That wasn't fight, Zatoichi fight. I can't remember. Uh, Zatoichi the Outlaw. Yeah. And uh, it took a while to find one, but uh, it was exciting. It's very exciting. When I was searching for it on the forums, uh, there were a lot of people complaining about the fact that they didn't have the dubs on it. Because all these people had grown up with the dubs. And, you know, don't get me wrong, when I was a kid, the first Shaw Brothers movies I saw, they were all dubbed. That was how I remembered them. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm a fucking grown-up now. I can, I can handle reading a bit of yeah, no, subtitle. That, that, that but there, but there are, in, in defence, there are some martial arts films that work better in their dubbed form. Nope. Yeah, absolutely. Nope. Uh, Strife for Mastery? Nope. Have you seen Strife for Mastery? Of course I have. With, no, no, with the, me, non-Shaw, you've watched, you, yeah, you no, and no, I watched I, it. I, we, I, yes, yeah, we watched I know it what Strife for Mastery is, yeah. yeah. We've watched the dub. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's funny... But, you know, if I was sent to Desert Island and you said, no, someone said, you know... You can, you can only have one version of Strife for Mastery. Yeah, you can either have dubbed or subtitles. I'll always go for subtitles. But the um, beauty of Strife for Mastery is that the entire film falls down in the dub version because they you can't dub a gravestone. The entire <laughs> film twists on the reveal of a buried gravestone and then the film just fucking ends. It's, and you have no it, idea what happened. It's an absolute treat. It, and, and this is so I mean, confused. This is where you know Dan and I are similar in very many ways, but this is one way that we we differ. Um, Five Element Ninja is a wonderful, wonderful film. Um, if you don't have access to a Z Eagle or the uh, original Celestial releases. 
then 88 films have put out a lovely Blu-ray. Oh, did they? They've done... It's part of the Shaw collection, well, which there's... I've now gone on to collect on top of the what some rebuying Doubling. ones yeah. I already own. Well, but... if you if there are... I mean, Shaw, 88 have done some great stuff, but they haven't done a huge number. No. Um, there is a um, an official website, streaming website, that the yeah. Shaws have put together, or the Shaw estate has put together, now yeah, that yeah. Uh, Run Run has passed away, at the ripe old age of 100 and something. Uh, and yeah, that they they have most of the celestial yeah, uh, but product I, I there, do I do no well. definitely, but I do want to specifically recommend the eighty eight releases oh, definitely. because they are really good and um, you know like Arrow, it's got reversible art and those well, sure posters are so and the other nice. Th- and the other thing is that actually the Zeagle, despite being quote unquote HD, is actually only seven twenty for the oh, okay. vast majority of the titles. So when the when a, a full ten eighty uh, HD print comes out. Still going to buy it. And uh, very, yeah, uh, this isn't my recommendation, but very quickly, by the time this podcast goes out, um, one of the greatest, not just Shaw Brothers films, but films full stop, um, it's the one that I've been waiting for, um, will be available on 88. They are releasing, drum roll, One-Armed Swordsman. Oh, you beaut. Are yeah. they doing all three or just the first um, one? It's just the first one for now. I don't know if they'll do the rest, but... Um, what a treat. Everybody... Buy that Run, film. don't walk. It is a, a masterpiece. Right, okay. I've said masterpiece. Oh, I just want to point out that there's... <laughs> I want to point out that in Five Elements Ninja, if it's subtitled, it uh, it tells you the names of all the martial arts moves they're doing. There you go. Um, including... Another reason including, to have subtitles. And I, I put a screen grab of this up on Twitter um, a little while ago, but uh, including backwards jump. <laughs> this is my, my favourite of the ninja moves. Um, but also there's an amazing fight in it where someone is... Uh, is defeated because their stomach is slit open and they can't carry on fighting because they keep on tripping over their own intestines as go. they slip out of their stomach. Happens to us all. Right. <laughs> now it's time for my second recommendation. Uh, it is another revisit. Um, this 2018 has been the year of the revisitations. Uh, it is Island of Lost Souls from 1932. Do you know, have you seen this yes, one? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, it's a very short film. It's only what 110 minutes um but i love that that's short for us yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's um, the the dr moreau story which you know i'm sure you'll all be familiar with um it stars charles lawton as dr moreau and lawton is one of my all-time favorite human beings um he is an astonishing actor um if you've seen the hunchback of notre dame like the the amount of uh emotion and inner life he communicates through basically the one eye underneath yeah. all of that beautiful prosthetics um he is an incredible actor and also one of the very very best directors night of the hunter his only film is um you know was badly received he didn't direct again but oh, you know it's on so many best films of all time lists it, uh, yeah including mine it still you know really stands up but island of lost souls also, you know, despite the fact it's made in 1932, I would put it alongside any modern film um, in terms of the performances um, and in terms of, you know, the, the actual, the uncanny, grotesque horror of it. You know, I think it's a very influential film and I actually think uh, potentially it was influential on Night of the Living Dead. I don't know that for sure. Um, I'd have to read around it, but there are elements in there that reminded me of Night of the Living Dead. You know, if you haven't seen it yet, there's a good chance you haven't. Um, it's available on Blu-ray. Um, it's actually another master of cinema. I'm recommending a lot of other 
um, labels um, today. Just so, solid step your podcast career a little. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, I've recommended loads of Arrow ones recently, and you know, um, yeah. I'm sure I will go back to that. But um, yeah, Island of Lost Souls from 1932. Um, it's creepy. It's weird. And, um, yeah, it's really, really cool. So, yeah. So, uh, my recommendation, my second recommendation, is the second modern film that I watched this year. Everything else has been old stuff. And I feel like you're going to roll your eyes a little bit when I say it. Uh-oh. But it's Jigsaw. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, my goodness. So, it's, I won't roll my eyes. It's such fun. Oh, uh, okay. I'm, uh, I'm not the biggest fan of the Saw franchise. I like number two a lot. Yeah. With its Suspiria reference. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and one is very impressive for what they managed to and, do. And very... The one's also quite... I mean... Deep, I'm, I'm deep, not a massive fan reds. of number one. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's very Argento-y. But, yeah, yeah. But, it's, um, but as a film, I'm not super in love with it. I think it's very impressive what they did. Mm. Uh, the rest of the franchise... I've, I have seen them all. There are some great bits scattered throughout, but I'm not a huge fan of the franchise. But I watched Jigsaw and I really, really liked it. Uh, I don't want to say too much about it, but uh, what I will say is that I didn't... The One of the recommendations I was going to do for, like, based on Blood and Black Lace is a giallo that I didn't... that I dropped from my recommendations list because I was reminded of it so much by Jigsaw that I didn't want to recommend them in the same podcast oh, wow. in case okay. it was a spoiler. That, but it has a very GL... I mean, it's got fucking plot holes you could drive a bus through, but some of them make sense at the end. Cool. And the, oh, like and the whole thing I love it when feels very that. much like a, like a sort of Giallo structure. Great. Giallo pasted onto a, a, a Jigsaw, a, a Saw franchise movie. I really enjoyed it. It's, um, it's by the Spirig brothers. Yes, um, I, I didn't them, remember yeah. who they were when I watched it. Yeah. Um, I went back and I looked. Uh, Undead, their first feature, is the first one of theirs that I saw, the Australian zombie movie, which is quite fun. I actually, um, I think I, I reviewed that way back for SFX. Magazine. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then they did uh, they did Daybreakers after that, which I was underwhelmed by. Uh, they did Predestination, which I detested, mm. which is based on All You Zombies by Robert Heinlein, yeah, yeah, which great. is just an amazing story, story and yeah. something I wanted to see adapted for so long. Uh, I have a director friend who, you, he's an English friend, he now lives over in, in the States, um, Oscar Sharp, who was always obsessed with that and really wanted to direct it. So I can't imagine how heartbreaking it was for him to see it being mauled so brutally uh, on the screen. So had I had I remembered who they were and had I seen their name on the front of it, like yeah, had, had I, I, I may have I may have skipped it. So if that is your feeling. Don't give in to that. It's it's really fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know why you'd think I'd roll my eyes to it. I haven't actually managed to catch it yet just because it's been... I've been very, very busy. But um, I love the sort of films. Um, I like them more than you do, definitely. It's one of my favourite franchises. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I, just, I, think I, I don't know I, how I'd miss that. I, I think it's... Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's wonderfully plotted, you know, whether or not they're making up as they went along. At least they're dedicated to an overarching narrative that's told across all of the films. And, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm very, very excited to, to see Jigsaw, um, but I just haven't caught it yet. Did you so ever see the Jigsaw recommendations files? for me. I did, yeah. I've not seen the yeah, Jigsaw the, Files, it's, the, it's, the fan edit. Yeah, it's a fan edit that basically puts it into chronological order. It puts cuts together all of, the backstory yeah and yeah. puts it into chronological order um, it's a tiny bit of a chore um, I often find that you know there is a, a magic and a soul in stories that are told out of sequence 
and weirdly when you put them back together something of that magic is lost yeah, I never bothered with the re-edited memento but I could imagine it's not, yeah, not particularly yeah, exciting exactly so yeah good recommendation Dan thank you shall we go into extra features yeah have we got anything we have actually extra features extra features Extra features. Now, I, uh, I've i actually forgotten to mention this to anybody, but... Um, Surprise, extra feature. So we're going to have to sort this. But basically, I went to the European premiere of The Post, um, Steven Spielberg's new film recently, and it, uh, it was revealed that uh, in the moment, this was something I wasn't aware of, but um, in the introduction to Steven Spielberg... Um, they basically announced that the post's European premiere was going to be the last film shown in the Ogin Leicester Square before it gets shut down for refurbishment. Um, And, you know, if there's people out there with an interest in in cinemas as well as cinema, I I certainly am. The Ogin Leicester Square has quite a, a, a... long and vivid history and so here is uh, Steven Spielberg talking about uh, the films that of his that have played at the Ogin Leicester Square Thank you uh, Oh this is a real moment of nostalgia for me because um, the first time I, I was in this theatre to premiere a movie of mine was in 1977, and it was Close Encounters of the Third Kind. For Her Majesty the Queen and the Queen Mum. And since then, I I think we premiered, we did our royal premiere here at uh, Odeon Leicester Square of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and then E.T. for Charles and Diana. And then we did, uh, after that, uh, the second Indiana Jones movie, Temple of Doom, Empire of the Sun premiered here. My, oh my goodness, um, Saving Private Ryan. Uh, um, uh, the BFG was the last one we did before that, War Horse. So this has been a very lucky house. And I'm so honored that the last film in this original venue, that means it will have gone from Prisoner of Zenda to the post. I'm really proud of that. Yeah, and that was Steven Spielberg on our podcast. Yeah. Um, well, we had to give in to his request to be on to be involved eventually. Exactly. I mean, come on. All right, stop the emails now, Steve. Okay, here um, we go. Just briefly talking yes. about on the... on the. Oh, and the uh, post is very good, by the way. I really enjoyed it. Cool. Um, and I'm sure, I think it's out when this podcast... God knows when these podcasts go out. We record so many of them back to back. But hopefully it's still in cinemas because I recommend it. It's great. Well, hearing Stephen talk about how his... I call him Steve. Stevie. Stevie baby. Yeah, yeah. Uh, talking about how important the, the venue is to the experience of film. Yes. Uh, I wanted to put a shout out. And again, who knows what's going to be going on by the time this is put up. But uh, there is a beautiful venue in London called the Cinema Museum, mm. which is uh, specifically about the cinema itself, the building, the place where you go and see the films. Um, it's open to the public. You can go and see slices of history, whether it's uh, their poster archive, uniforms uh, of cinema staff throughout the eras. Um, it's actually in the last standing bit of building that was the workhouse 
the the poor house that Charlie Chaplin grew up in, uh, and the Chaplin estate has recently got involved in uh, in a campaign to save the building. It's still mm-hmm. owned by the NHS. They're currently looking to sell it for development into flats, which is a real shame because a little while ago they promised they wouldn't be doing that and that the cinema museum could stay. There are petitions going on. Um, I'll be tweeting some of those uh, around the time this goes out. If Things haven't gone horrible and it's all gone, in which case just shed a tear for them. But if the tears are not necessary, then please sign the petitions because it's, it's a really lovely place. It's really worth saving. Wonderful. Oh, what, a, what a nice note to end on. Potentially sad note, but hopefully not. We are going to do our social media, social media business now. What's your social media of choice this, this time? Sam? This time I'm going to stick with Instagram um, because um, I will have been putting up uh, sneaky pictures from the, the the film that I'm I'm doing at the moment that I promise not to mention on this one, but I've just <laughs> done that. Um, please follow me on Instagram, um, which is at Sam Ashurst twenty three S A M A S H U R S T, and then the number two and the number three, and you'll get all sorts of uh, all sorts of pictures. Um, that I think are quite nice. That's what Instagram is. Yeah, quite nice. Nice. Do you want to do uh, Twitter as well? Just yeah, and and uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I am at Sam Ashurst, which is a bit easier. S A M A S H U R S T, and uh, there'll be less pictures on there. Um, much more, much more, more nonsense. Yeah, and um, me defending myself from people who say I can't do lists. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I'm politely uh, <laughs> politely refraining. From uh, there's a uh, there's a there's a BBC radio comedy show that's just started its sixth or seventh season, uh, written by a British comic called John Finnamore, uh, who's very good. And in the <clears throat> I think it's the second episode of this new season, uh, he has a sketch uh, about someone who doesn't understand the rules of hide and seek. And there's a lot of talk about I I play by my own rules. I have my own rules. And it's uh, it's a treat, but it reminded me of you defending your list rules. Um, I, th- I, I think you'd enjoy it. I genuinely think you'd enjoy it. Look, basically, people got 18 films out of my top 10. That's nice. No, I'm not saying there wasn't a positive side to it. Yes, good. Right, and we're going to stop there. Like Robin there, Hood. And I would like Robin Hood. Like he Robin plays Hood. by his own rules. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I am like Robin Hood. Um, except he got far less abuse on Twitter. Dan, what is your what's your Twitter? <laughs> he got he got more executed. Oh, he did. Yeah, <laughs> but which is worse? I don't know. Right, Dan. Um, while I'm saying mine, uh, which I'll say nice and slowly to give you time, do you want to try and remember what our Arrow email is? Because we never remember to say it. If I remember, you want me to look it up? I don't mean, you? I mean, silently look it up, Sam. That's the yeah. magic of an audio-only format. <laughs> Hmm. Yes. So my Twitter, which is the same as my Instagram, so you can use it for both, uh, is at 13fingerfx. So that's 13 Foxtrot Indigo November Golf Echo Romeo Foxtrot X Ray. And you can see me retweeting things from my dog's Instagram. <laughs> what else can you see on there, Dan? Um, well, you know, the odd bit of uh, promotion for something I worked on a while back and then kind of forgot existed. You should all go and see Journeyman, which I think will be out by the time this comes out, which I was tweeting some pictures of. And then once that's finished with this cinematic run, I'll be putting up some pictures of the makeup. Uh, Obviously, you can't do it now because it's spoilery. Right, we're going to tweet this email address because I can't find it and I can't remember it. Um, I'm very tired. Arrow video podcast at arrowfilm.co.uk. Unbelievable. Give it a go. Absolutely unbelievable. Give it a go. That is the correct one. Is that it? Is it Arrow, Arrow... uh, films or arrowfilm.co.uk? Ah, uh, that I could not tell. Just you. do it to both. 
Yeah, it'll bounce or, back from one or, of them. Or, or, or go back and listen to the end of our very first episode. We'll have mentioned when it. When we actually there. say it. Yeah, when <laughs> we, we remember to. And, and, and actually, we should make this clear because I think that part of the reason we don't get emails is because sometimes we ask you to, to send us things specific. Sometimes we just mention it. Literally, whatever you want to say to us, do it via email. So whatever you want to talk about, if you want to recommend films to us, if you want to talk about the film we've just talked about, if you want to say you're looking forward to something that's about to come out, just email us and we will read it out on the show and respond. Yeah, so yeah, basically, if you, me- if you contact us on Twitter, we'll respond to it, but we're less likely to mention it on the podcast. Yes. If you email us, we almost certainly won't respond to it in person, but then we will say something on the podcast. That is, so yeah. That's, that's, those are the rules. That is the best way to describe yeah. it. Fantastic. Right. Thank you so much for listening, and we promise we'll be more professional next time. We do. Thank you. Bye-bye.